Our scripture reading is from Mark 4, verses 1 through 20, and you can find it on page 489 in the Paper Bibles. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it, was, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Another seed fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter, into, enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those who are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Uh, today, we are finally getting to some of the teaching of Jesus, and we are looking at this first big collection of parables. Um, and parables, if you don't know, are stories that Jesus told in order to communicate key truths about the kingdom of God. There are stories that uh, he told, symbolic stories with meanings that teach us about the kingdom of God. And this one we just read is an extremely well-known parable. It's the parable of the soils. Um, and I'm sure if you've been in the church, you've heard this one before. But I wonder if uh, you're like me. And as it was being read, you might have gravitated towards that last image that was given in the parable, that picture of that final soil that is the fruitful soil, the soil that represents the life that is uh, abundant and reproducing, that produces a crop of 30 or, or 60 or 100-fold. I think that's kind of an amazing picture. And I'd imagine that even if you're not a Christian in this room, even if you don't totally understand what that picture is all about, there's something that draws you in 
about that image. Wouldn't we all love to be in the position where at our funeral, someone stands up and they say, this man, this woman lived a fruitful life, that they had an impact that was far greater than the size of their existence. And that every day as you got to know him or her, that you saw these characteristics increasing in them. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. I think that's a, a beautiful picture. And the message that we get here as we read this and as we pick apart this parable is that that kind of life, that kind of fruitfulness that is so attractive to us that we are always hoping to produce can only come from one source. And so what I want us to do this morning as we study this text is I want us to think about that notion. I want us to think about ourselves a little bit. I want us to ask that question, is my life a fruitful life? And what would prevent our lives from becoming fruitful lives? What are the things that hinder and inhibit fruitfulness in our lives? Because I think that's what we really learn uh, as we go through this text. Mark shows us through this story that, uh, three different things that prevent fruitfulness in us. Three things that could cut it off entirely. And they are a noisy life, a shallow reception of God's word, and an unfertile faith. A noisy life, a shallow reception of God's word, and an unfertile faith. All right, so in talking about a noisy life, the, the passage just starts off immediately. It says, again, he began to teach besides the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen. So let's take a minute, let's try to imagine what the scene is here. This is the peak of Jesus' popularity. People are flocking to see him. There are enormous crowds that want to hear what Jesus has to say. So they're, they're all circling around him. They're pressing in upon him. They're trying to, to reach out and touch him. And Jesus knows that he needs to, to get some space if he's going to teach. And so he gets into a boat and he pushes just a little bit off the shore so that the surface of the water can amplify his voice. And he begins to teach sitting in this boat as the waves of the sea are kind of lapping up on the edges of the ship. And while he's teaching, in the middle, he pauses and he says, listen. Listen. Now, in my household uh, recently, in the last couple weeks, uh, I uncovered my old Nintendo in the basement, and uh, I brought it upstairs. Uh, Melissa isn't too pleased about this. <laughs> but uh, I brought it up. And uh, I, I started playing an old Zelda game that I used to play probably about 20 years ago. And uh, if you're familiar with Zelda, I don't know if you know how these games work. You basically kind of explore around, and there's different puzzles to solve, and there's different bosses to fight. And also, while you're playing the game, there are little side tasks that you can participate in, little other things that you can do. And in this particular game, uh, you also have this little glowing kind of fairy that goes along with you. And if you spend too much time doing the other stuff, it'll blink and it'll say, 
listen. And it gets kind of annoying, right? Because you press it, and the only thing it says is, isn't there something else we should be doing? You know, isn't there some other thing that's more important than this? It's always trying to call you back to this main task. And I couldn't help, since this is now like in my brain, that as I read this text, that's all I can think about, right? Listen, pay attention. There's a, there's a main task we need at hand that we need to pay attention to. This is what Jesus is doing. He's like the teacher who, who puts her finger over her mouth and, and raises her hand, you know, says, okay, everybody, put on your listening ears. <laughs> he wants us to hear something important. And if you're not convinced just by the one word, if just saying listen uh, doesn't persuade you, the, here's how the parable ends. It's, he says, he who has ears, let him hear. And then in the next verses, as he talks to the disciples, he describes the crowds. And he says that those crowds are like a bunch of people who see but don't perceive. They're, they're groups of people who hear but they don't understand. And so that means we need to hear that word today. We need to hear that word listen today because we have a lot more in common with those crowds than we do with the people who got it. The truth is, you know, from, we, we rarely give Jesus our listening ears. We rarely take the time to contemplate what Jesus has to say. These crowds, they're pushing in around Jesus, but it's not because of the content of his message, right? They're flocking to him, but it's not really because of what he's teaching. It's because of what they're seeing. It's because of what he's doing, right? This is the day before television and, and movies, uh, before radio, right? Jesus was probably the best show in town, you know? Going out to see him would be like getting tickets to Hamilton, right? you got to go see Jesus before he moves to the next town. He's doing amazing things. Don't miss your chance. There's an aspect of this crowd that it's, it's entertainment to them. But Jesus wants us to know. He wants them to know that his words are not simply for consumption. But they're meant for contemplation. He was not just one more voice to be heard, not just one more thing to hear, but he says, stop, listen, hear, perceive, understand. And we need that message now more than ever because our, no our, our world is much noisier than their world was. Our world today is, is constantly filled with noise, isn't it? We, we always have uh, a TV running, right? We always have movies going. We have politics. Uh, we have news. We have internet think pieces in front of us. We have podcasts in our ears. The radio is on. We have learned to, to half listen all the time. As a culture, I, I wonder if we have lost the ability to truly hear anything. But if we want to hear the truth, we have to listen to Jesus. We have to learn to listen to him. And you know, that especially applies to the skeptics in the room. If you're here this morning and you're wondering, well, I don't even know if I want to, to listen to Jesus, I want to encourage you, especially you should listen to Jesus. 
Don't just let his words rush by your ears like every other opinion that you hear all day long. And don't just take my word for it. But pick up this book that we're reading. It's not very long. Mark's only a few chapters. Go home and read it for yourself. Hear what he has to say. Let Jesus speak. And if you're a Christian here, I want to especially speak to you. Folks, this one word, listen, is Jesus giving us a wake-up call. He's saying, listen to me. Come back to your senses. Fruitfulness in our lives always begins in this very same source. Paul says it. He says, faith comes from hearing. And hearing comes through the word of Christ. Folks, if we believe that the words of Jesus are true, if we believe that this book right here contains the words of the living God, why do we spend so little time listening to it? Why can't we find at least as much time to hear from him as we do from you know, Trevor Noah or NPR or the voices in our, our Twitter feed? Jesus is speaking to us because we live noisy lives and they are inhibiting our fruitfulness. And so he says to us, in the midst of all this, he says, listen, listen. The second thing, though, that Mark points out is uh, what we see in the parable, that the main thing preventing our fruitfulness is that we have a shallow reception of the Word of God. That we have a shallow reception of the Word of God. So we talked about listening. The parable, it begins with a call to listen. It ends with a call to listen. But if you heard the content, you might have noticed that the message is simply listening isn't enough. Simply hearing the words of Jesus is not enough. So he tells this parable. Let's look at it together. It's pretty basic. He says there is a sower, and the sower is sowing seed. He's throwing out seeds on four different kinds of soil, and he has four different results. The first seed, it falls along a path, and the path is packed down and hardened, and birds come, and they snatch up the seed, and nothing happens. The second seed, it lands on rocky soil, and the plants actually begin to grow a little bit. But because the soil has rocks in it, the roots can't grow, and so when the sun comes out, it kills all the vegetation. And then the third type of soil is thorny ground. And the seeds go in, and they begin to grow, and they begin to sprout roots. But as they grow, the thorns grow at the same time, and it chokes out the plants, and they die. And then finally, the seed lands on what he calls the good soil, the fertile soil. And the plants grow, and they grow uh, to full size, and then they bear fruit 30 and 60 and 100-fold. Now, if you think about what this passage is telling us, 
the basic truth is trying to communicate is, is that hearing is not the problem. In the barest sense of the word, when Jesus starts to explain the meaning, you realize that each of these groups heard what Jesus had to say. The difference between them is it's not the quality of the word that they heard. It's not even the manner in which they heard it. But the problem is how deep that word went into their lives, or really how deep the word didn't go into their lives. And so when, we, we, when Jesus comes and he explains this thing, he tells us uh, pretty quickly what this means, that uh, the, the group that had the seed snatched up, they're the ones who hear the word and they reject it, that Satan comes and snatches it away. And probably Jesus had the Pharisees in mind, right? We had just, in chapter 3, if you were here with us last week, we, we just read the story where the Pharisees had told him that he was possessed by Satan. They didn't want to listen to him. That's who the first group is. But the second and the third groups are worth taking some time to consider. They're worth giving a little bit of thought because uh, both of those groups at one point, look fruitful, right? Both of those groups at one point look not like the Pharisees, not like the seeds that got snatched up, but they would look identical to the fruitful group, to the disciples, to the people who had the word deep in their hearts. So let's, let's break that down. Let's see what happens here. That second group, first of all, let's start with them. It tells us the second group, the rocky soil, it is people who get excited about the positive message of the gospel. It's people who hear the promises of Jesus, and they like what they hear. And for good reason. There's lots to like. What does Jesus tell us? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Who doesn't want that? John chapter 10, he says, I came that you would have life and that you would have it abundantly, that you would have a full and abundant and everlasting life. Jesus tells us nothing short of an eternity that is free from sin and suffering. He promises us reconciliation with our creator. He promises us complete security in him that no matter what we do, no one can snatch us out of his hands. He promises us a new identity as part of a people, as part of his family. Who doesn't want that? That stuff all sounds great. But then you think about it and you realize these people are just like the crowds that have come to hear him. They're all excited about what Jesus is doing. They're all excited about the fact that he's healing people, right? They're excited that he's teaching with authority. I mean, from their perspective, this is no different from being at that Oprah show where she's handing out free cars, right? You get a car, and you get a car. Right? They're, they're excited about this. This is great. But then, as you take the time to learn what Jesus really means through all this teaching... As you take the time to follow Jesus and, and walk with him for a while, 
it becomes apparent pretty quickly. That abundant life that he was talking about, that doesn't necessarily mean a happy life. That abundant life, it doesn't mean a stress-free life. It doesn't mean a painless life. In fact, the same Jesus who made all of those promises we just went through, who shared all of that good and exciting news, he also said, birds have nests, foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said, whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me, whoever doesn't follow me to death is not worthy of me. He says, whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And the reality is, many people in the church, we we hear all of that stuff, and we can even get behind that in theory. You know, that sounds fine to us. It sounds noble. It sounds good. But it's one thing to have the theology. It's one thing to mentally assent to suffering, and it is another thing to suffer. And when that moment comes, when you lose your job, when someone who's close to you dies, when you lose your friend, when a natural disaster wreaks havoc on one corner of the globe, when the church that you're a part of reveals itself to be full of sinners, and they hurt you, and they mistreat you. It's in those moments, if our faith isn't deep enough, if that truth hasn't burrowed itself into our lives and prepared us, we'll wither. I spoke to a woman just this last week, and she has been in this neighborhood for decades and been a part of Uh, the same church in all that time. And not too long ago, the pastor changed. And when he came, he had some new ideas. And they ended up getting into some conflict. They didn't see things eye to eye. But through that, she was really hurt. She really felt sinned against. And as a result, she left. After 40, 50 years. And she didn't just leave that church. She has left the church. I talked to her and she says, I don't know if I can bother to be around Christians. And you know, I don't know what's going to happen to her, but I I can tell you that Jesus would say the diagnosis here is that the truth hasn't gone deep enough in her life. Her faith isn't deep enough to prepare her for the persecution and the trials when they come. That's what that rocky soil is all about. And the third picture here is equally tragic. The third picture, the picture of the thorny ground, maybe it's even a little more tragic because you realize that in in this situation, in these people's lives, the seed actually had gotten in a little deeper. The seed had begun to sprout and and to send down roots, and and the, the plant was even beginning to grow. But what you see is that the hope of the gospel had not gone any deeper than their other hopes in their lives. This uh, third 
picture is the picture of a person who loves the promises of Jesus, just like group number two, who wants those blessings. And you know, maybe this person is even willing to endure some hardship. Maybe they're even willing to endure some of the persecution and and some of the trials. But all the while, there's another seed growing in their life. There's another thing that they are hoping for just as much as they're hoping in Christ. And what we learn throughout all of Scripture is that, that Jesus plus any other thing Jesus plus any other God is no God at all. Jesus tells us no one can serve two masters. You can try. But eventually that other master will become a cruel tyrant in your life. Eventually those thorns will begin to rise up and grow and they will choke out whatever faith you thought you had. And the scary thing is, Jesus shows us in this parable that that it could be anything. Those thorns can be anything in our lives. The the way he describes it, he says that, that in this third scenario, it is the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. It's amazing the kinds of things that can become those idols in our lives. It's, the amazing, it's amazing the kind of things that can become the hope that we're living for. You know, there's the obvious ones, right? Money and power and sex and, and our reputation. But it can be anything. You know, I was listening uh, to, I don't know what it was the other day, but I heard a, a sportscaster saying that he almost lost his career and his family and his reputation because he loved hair plugs too much. He almost ruined his life for hair plugs. We can make anything the idols in our hearts. When any good thing, whatever it is, becomes the ultimate thing, it will always wreck us in the end. You know, just another story. I'll never forget um, the weekend after the stock market crash back in 2009. I had been attending this Christian men's breakfast. It was back when we were just uh, beginning the process of planting the church. So I was trying to hang out with as many rich guys as I could. <laughs> and I was going to this wealthy Christian men's breakfast every, whenever it was, and uh, trying to network, and, uh, and then the stock market crashed. And there was this, this morning that I went and, and spoke with a man who I had actually, um, we were going to get together and talk about fundraising and church planting and stuff. And And this man, he said he needed to cancel our appointment, which I totally understood. But I could see in his eyes that he was shaken to the core of himself. He was an investor. And even after the crash, he had more money than I will ever dream of having. But seeing that idol collapse in his life had nearly ruined him. Now, I don't think he left the church. But I can tell you that at that moment, he realized that there were some big thorns that were still growing. 
And the message Jesus wants us to see in this third picture is that if we are going to grow, the word has to grow deeper than those things. If we are going to be fruitful, then the promises of his word have to become bigger than the promises of the world. Jesus isn't the only one who tells us this. Right? Paul gives us this same instruction in Colossians. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We have to let it get into our lives. We have to let it sink down and penetrate the deepest and darkest corners of our hearts. We have to let that truth grow to the point where it can choke out the lies of this world. We've got to let Jesus get deep into our hearts and be the one who will uproot the deception that the world has planted in us. And when I see these pictures, it, it's convicting to me. And it makes me worry for our church, not just our congregation, but for, for the church at large, because I recognize that there are, are so many Christians who the truth of God has just barely gotten underneath the surface. And our lives show it. Instead of these fruitful and reproductive lives. We live lives that are full of fear, that are full of insecurity, that are full of anger and bitterness and lust and greed. We have a shallow reception of God's word. And Jesus wants us to know that. But the third thing we find here in this passage, in addition to the fact that we live in a, a noisy world and we often have a shallow reception of his word, is it shows us that one of the main things preventing us from becoming fruitful is that, that we have an unfertile faith. Maybe as you are thinking this through, there's already some, some of those idols are coming to your mind. Maybe you're looking at your own life and you're thinking, you know, I'm, I'm not that fruitful. And you're wondering, what do I do? What do I do to drive the truth down in my heart? What do I need to do to make myself become this fruitful soil? Well, I think that's the brilliance of this parable. And honestly, it's the brilliance of all the times throughout the Gospels when Jesus compares the kingdom coming to, to plants and seeds and, and trees and vines. Over and over, you, you see this kind of message, right? He says that, that we are like a tree that bears fruit, or we're like a, he's like a vine, and, and we're the branches. I mean, there's a lot to gain just from thinking about the, the practical side of that that our relationship to him is a lot more organic than mechanical. That there isn't one answer to this question. There's not just something that we can do that correlates directly to something God's going to do for us. Some action that, that we, can, uh, we can do that, that then God's going to produce a certain kind of fruit in our lives. That's just not how it works. 
But there is one tool that God uses to transform us. And it's the one that we talk about all the time. It's not something special that we only find here. It is the simple tool of repentance and faith. In a sense, it's uh, repentance and faith is not much different from his urging at the end of the parable. Let he who has ears hear. Let she who has ears hear. Repentance and faith, it's just what happens in our lives when we hear the truth. When we truly hear it. When we hear it with ears of faith and we believe it. You see, the way the gospel produces fruit in our lives is by taking this very basic seed of truth, this very basic seed of the word of God, by taking the good news of Jesus Christ and working it slowly into our hearts. Working it in slowly through the process of repentance and faith and obedience and repentance and faith and obedience and repentance and faith and obedience over and over and over and over again. The, the truth is that the fruit begins to grow when we face the kinds of hardship Jesus talks about in this parable. In scenario number two, when we face persecution, when we face suffering and we begin to fear and we begin to doubt and we want to run away and then we remember the gospel. And then we remember the eternal Son of God who has suffered with us. The eternal Son of God who took on flesh and entered our reality and entered into our suffering so that we could be freed from it. Who on the cross suffered for our sins so that someday there would be no more pain and suffering. We see His love. We hear his gospel, and we repent, and we believe, and we obey. We come up to the scenario like we find in, in the third situation, where we're wrestling with the idols of our heart, where we're tempted by the same thing that, that's always tempted us, where we're tempted by success, and we're tempted by money, and we fail, and we fall. We believe the lies of the world and we chase after those things and we find ourselves coming up empty-handed. We find our lives feeling broken. We find that, that those things have not satisfied us. And then we hear the gospel. And we realize that, that Christ has paid for our sins. And not only that, but through his work on the cross, through his death and resurrection, he has given us the success our hearts really desire. That he has given us the name of sons and daughters of the Most High God. He has given us the entire creation as our inheritance. And we see that in the midst of our sin. And we repent. And we believe. And we obey. Repentance and faith 
and obedience over and over and over again. And all the while, the seed is going deeper and deeper and deeper into our hearts. And that, folks, is what I want you to see. That's the glorious thing about this parable. You see, Jesus doesn't show us the picture of the fruitful soil so that he can hold that out over us and make us feel guilty. Look at the picture. No, he says that if you hear my word, and if it is truly planted in your life, you will be like this soil. Everyone, every person who belongs to me will have this kind of life where they produce fruit 30 and 60 and 100-fold. Even if today you don't feel like that. Even if you're being honest today, you're just beginning to sprout. Even though it feels like a fight today, even though today you might be incredibly discouraged, this is his promise to you. This is the promise of the grace of God. He says he will do the work. That's why he called you. That's what you were made for. Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. If you're in me, you will bear much fruit. He says, this is the way that my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So if that's your desire this morning, if that's what you want, if you want that life of abundance, that life that produces holiness and an increase of grace, then I want to invite you to come up to the only place you can get it. I want to invite you to come here to this table and see the good news laid out before you. That his righteousness counts for yours. That he is producing fruit in your life. And I want to invite you to repent and believe and obey. Come up here. Listen. This is his truth for you today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the good news, Lord, that, that you are at work in us. Lord, if we're being honest, uh, much of our life still looks like these other two soils. There are still thorns. We're still scorched by the sun of persecution. But Lord, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you might sanctify us. That by the good news of your gospel, you might drive down the word of truth into our hearts and make us your own. Father, we long for the day when you produce in us a legacy 30, 60, and 100-fold. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.